Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Female Lens. Here we are. Back again. Yay! Last Within of season two. Oh my god. Last Within of, of the year. Yeah. Wow. So in light of that, we yeah. want to take uh, a little time to kind of reflect. Love some reflection. Mm-hmm. And we want to reflect on women in film in 2019 wow. and a little bit about our podcast in 2019. What a year. Yeah. It's been a great year. Yeah, it has. Um, yeah. So I guess just to jump off. Um, we're going to kind of share a couple moments slash people slash films that inspired us or, or jumped out to us for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, the moments that really stood out for me was um, chatting with Nisha Ganatra after seeing her film Late Night. Um, I know we really love seeing the film. And yeah. At least yeah. you actually watched yeah. it with us yeah. before you were on board. That was so fun. Yeah, it was great. Such a fun film. It was really fun to see um, and... It was just such a gift to be able to chat with Nisha after seeing the mm-hmm. film. And I just remember we got to chat with her and it was the end of a long day. <laughs> we were talking with her and she just had such a like time and space and just generosity for us, which has just like inspired me so much yeah. over this year. I was like, wow, I hope that when I get to make, you know, films at that level, like I can still have that generosity towards people that are just making their way, you know? Right. Also, she said something about um, her, she was inspired by Emma Thompson's joy that she brought Mm -hmm. um, and the creativity on set. And that just really stuck out to me because yes, while making, you know, making something, it's so vulnerable. It can be really difficult. There's financial constraints, there's time constraints, but at the end of the day, it is such an act of joy and how kind of radical that can be in, in yeah. today's world. Um, and I, whenever I think of something when I'm like, oh, it's getting too hard or, oh, this is really difficult. I, I just think about that conversation with Nisha and how that idea of joy um, in your work. Yeah. I love that. And what a reminder, like yeah. we're out here, you know, making films, talking about films, yeah. like what a gift, first of all, to have the privilege to do that. And then second, yeah, it should be fun and joyful yeah. and like what a... Like, wonderful. It shouldn't be, um, you know, just constantly bogged down and hard work or depressing, you know, just generally speaking about women in film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a great reminder just to take take forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. What yeah. about you guys? Did uh, any, any films or, or people or moments stick out to you? I mean, okay, first of all, our podcast yes. is almost a year old. <laughs> How <laughs> crazy and exciting is that? It's I really am blown exciting. away. Um, and we have begun discussing upcoming Sundance Film Festival. Yes. And it just reminds me of um, last year when we got to go mm-hmm. and we went with the podcast mm-hmm. brand new baby podcast yeah. at Sundance real new, real new. Through the night yet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but um and how incredible and inspiring that was of being able to even have the opportunity to go with the podcast and um interview women at the festival I just mm-hmm. that was like such a neat thing I mean I grew up going to the festival guys um, <laughs> Casual grew up with the festival <laughs> but this was like just such a unique year at the festival mm-hmm. and um, 
it was just so inspiring being able to watch these films by women. We made that a priority um, at the films that we saw. And then um, having these interviews with people afterwards. And yeah, and interviewing Amber Seeley in particular about her short film was just so, um, it opened a lot of just like doors mentally even. And I think that film, I still think about her short film and like how powerful that was seeing that. And yeah, what a short can look like even just thinking about that. And she just had, we interviewed her in in her pajamas. She was bright and early in the morning, (laughs) freezing cold outside. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And that was really right. And now everyone knows. Yeah, no, they all know. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, there's some photos, there's some photos to prove it on oh, Instagram, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I think so much about Sundance, which is really exciting for us, mm-hmm. and and kind of just what the whole you know the meaning of the podcast is wrapped up in. It's just if you see it, you really do believe, like, oh yeah, this is a possibility for myself. And yeah, I, I mean, just so many moments of that at Sundance, where I was like, oh my gosh, wow, these women did this thing mm-hmm. and they brought all these people with them and somehow made something happen and now we're all watching that yeah. and now we get to take part in that and experience it and examine a part of life through right. this film like wow that's yeah. incredible like that's the goal like yeah. it's amazing it's so, everything yeah. yeah um yeah i totally agree that was a good memory yeah good man excited for sentence 2020 Woo. yeah i'm also i just have to add that mm-hmm. as a somebody who came on the team kind of halfway through the year it's been really cool for me to at least at the beginning as more of an outsider as a friend and supporter Mm -hmm. to get to see the the birth and (laughs) growth of this thing um and just you know knowing how much work and time and love you guys put into this um to see where it is now almost a year later is is really cool thanks and it's also just been awesome to get to help out and be more involved and um, continue to support this awesome project. <laughs> Yay, we're glad you're on board. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Um, any other films stick out for you guys this year of, um, of, of female-directed films? I I really loved The Farewell. Mm, we didn't yes. get the chance to see that at Sundance, but we saw it at the Sundance screaming, screening at the Ace Hotel that in Los really Angeles. That and that time. was just... Like, what a powerful film. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite films of the year. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah. I really loved um, just what Lulu Wong was saying with the mm-hmm. film and, and how she executed it. Yeah. I thought it was just, like, quietly powerful. So powerful mm-hmm. and beautiful. Yeah. I guess something that I'm looking forward to in 2019 that will be released at the end of 2019 is Greta Gerwig's uh, <gasps> Little Women. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we have not seen yet. But not yet. Are excited really excited for that. to see. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, it's so exciting, all these women and yeah. these films that they've created mm-hmm. and wow it really does make it feel like okay it's possible totally and I just think you know the more that we get into it and the more we've thought about it especially this year with the podcast mm-hmm. it's like there are so many women making films and they are making it happen <laughs> yes. and we have seen so many of those films and supported them and I just think yeah like that's so cool I didn't grow up um seeing that or watching films by women necessarily and now we're really creating this um atmosphere for ourselves at least of female filmmakers totally agree yeah 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 that's such a good point it's like you guys had to do a lot of work to seek these things out or maybe at least in the beginning Mm -hmm. it more than in the past or more than the average person consumer audience member um would be exposed to but then because of the the medium of this podcast and this like network community 
you know, whatever you want to call it that you're creating, you're allowing or bringing so many other people into this space and exposing um, the world of women in film to so many more people and making it more accessible, I think is the point I'm trying to make. Hey. I think that's cool. I hope. That, that yeah, was kind of our intent. goal. Because when we started the podcast, mm-hmm. we were like, hey, we, we were looking for resources on how to make a short film, essentially, and just found that most of the podcasts for film were mm-hmm. you know, hosted by or interviewed men. And we're like, yeah. there's got to be other stories out here. Right. Um, and I feel like that's been such a gift this year of like hearing all these different stories from these women mm-hmm. and each of the women that we've gotten to speak with has taught me something for sure. And definitely. I definitely take something away from each conversation that yeah. adds to not only my life, but also like my creative work. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like, yeah, even just like the female filmmaker Friday post mm-hmm. that we do on Instagram, mm-hmm. like that's been such a cool practice of like, okay, yeah, this week we got to look up another female director. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's dig in a little bit. I've learned so much from those. Same. And even just like our whiffins of like, okay, let's find like a piece of news that's interesting to discuss and like dig into a little mm-hmm. bit. That's been such a good practice for me personally of like, okay, yeah, let me be educated on what's happening. Yeah. Um, with women in film, essentially. Yeah, and they're not always... I mean, we talked about the Golden Globes last week, mm-hmm. but they're not always... Um, I mean, I'd say for the most part, our Whiffins are not something that's, like, in the news that everybody's talking about. Yeah, exactly. it's, like, going out of our way a little bit to to figure out what the other stories are mm-hmm. and talk about something that we're like, oh, wow, nobody's really talking about this, but this is an interesting thing that we should discuss. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's definitely strengthened the muscle of like mm-hmm. putting a little more time and effort into seeking out what I really want to consume mm-hmm. or experience, I guess. Yeah. Cool. Guys, what a great 2019. I'm really looking forward to 2020. I sense great things are ahead yes. for all of us collectively and individually mm-hmm. and through Beautiful. our female lens and then for all of our wonderful listeners. Yeah, thank you for listening. Yeah, we're astounded (laughs) and appreciative. We wish you all a wonderful rest of the year, and we look forward to bringing you an exciting season three. Stay tuned. Sandra Mae Frank is a deaf, trained stage and film actress, best known for her role as Venla from Deaf West's Spring Awakening on Broadway. She's performed in numerous regional theater productions, as well as Netflix's Daybreak and Freeform's Switched at Birth. Here, we interview her with the help of her translator, Paul Racy. Enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sandra. We would like to start at the beginning. How did you discover your passion for acting? Well, I think I was a little girl playing with a camera. Uh, in those days, it was like one of those old-fashioned ones that you have to put a tape into it on your shoulder. And I was at a friend's house, and we were playing, acting. Uh, but I never thought about it being a job later. It was just something fun for me to do, be creative, do stories. I tend to do horror stories when I was a child. But uh, that would show, I would show my mom and dad afterwards. I'd put a movie in. My mom would look at it and go, uh-huh, okay, great, Sandra. I don't like, but why, why are you doing this? Oh, it'd, be, it'd be like my, my parents were chan- my, my parents were excellent that, that way because they encouraged my uh, movie making and they liked it. Then, in high school, I was involved in plays. I never thought of it uh, going into college. I decided to major in English. And so that was my starting point. Uh, uh, I was in education. And then after summer, after school, I'd be doing school plays, and that was about it. But because of that time when we were thinking of jobs, uh, acting for deaf people at that at that time five years ago was not a viable option. It was not ideal. There were no jobs. It wasn't a stable uh, 
situation they didn't pop up or uh, happen uh, that often. So I was going to be in education uh, in teaching. and teaching. Uh, but that's uh, the, the industry was right there. They said, oh, you have to, the industry approached me, so you have to act full time. I thought, well, English a major is still uh, writing. English major would be good, but uh, all of a sudden I just found myself going in the direction of being a full-time actor, and here I am after all those uh, different turns of trying to be a teacher. Do you find a difference in your artistic process while doing film or theater? I'm from a theater background, okay? Very strong theater background. I've never thought that I'd be doing film or television at all. I, I never entered my mind. Uh, but theater is really, well, at that time, all right? <laughs> uh, but watching how it's all unfolded from the beginning to the end, uh, it hasn't stopped. There's been no cut, no redo, no retake. It's, that's my life. It just keeps on going. TV and film, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, you don't see a deaf person on television that often. Uh, and then Spring Awakening uh, on Broadway happened. And I had to juggle both these worlds. Uh, uh, you know, his background, small roles, uh, I liked it, but then uh, I kept getting more auditions and more involved, and now I love both worlds. So theater, uh, theatrically, uh, it's kind of complicated. It's raw. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's like it, theater's big, but, but television is different. You can do different uh, rules uh, when you have deaf roles uh, if you want to tell a story. Um, but the part about TV and film is that I can get to be my own character, okay? Which means that theater for me tends to have, I have a voice actor that's going to act with me. And that's not a bad thing, okay? But it's just the thing that happens. Uh, I have to work with them. I have to make sure that I'm working with them. They understand what I'm doing. So working with the hearing actor, doing my voice, uh, is a little difficult. In TV and film, I don't have to deal with that. And so it's not bad. It's just what it is. But TV and film, I don't know. I'm just doing my thing. <laughs> and that's a cool thing about TV. And uh, everybody, the whole world can see your work on TV and film. Where in theater, you know, you got to come within, uh, <clears throat> for example, in a small town in uh, Oklahoma City. Okay? We're doing a play in Oklahoma City, okay? Or Austin, Texas. Or you go to New York, you got to beg people to come and see you. Television? Right there, you get your audience, everybody's sitting on the couch, <laughs> turn you on with their little uh, remote. It's nice, so it's nice to balance the two worlds, though. So you went to college at Gallaudet University, the only deaf university, where you mentioned earlier you first studied education and then changed your major to theater arts. What compelled you to change your major to theater, and can you tell us about your acting training there? Oh, certainly. <clears throat> Well, I uh, <clears throat> owe it all to a professor named Monique Holt, uh, a deaf woman. She's an actor, an amazing actor, uh, incredible, not recognized enough in this world for my taste. She is the one who spent an hour with me after class every day explaining what theater is, why do I want to do theater, what is it all about. I mean, that's the same, the same person that gave me an internship. So I did an internship in New York summer. We picked several things that we loved from Shakespeare, okay? And then we just mixed them all together and we all did the work. It was a fun internship and I loved doing it. 
uh, it was, and after that, it empowered me to do what I did after. So when I went to uh, Gallaudet Theater, the theater department there, uh, they're all deaf. The students, the staff. Sometimes you get a hearing teacher that's brought in, like a lighting designer, uh, set designer, or whatever, to get you a taste of what's going out in the world. We learned so much with these people, the workshops. We had theater workshops. We had summer classes. We had daytime, nighttime classes, rehearsals. So much work that we learned from. We, we analyzed uh, sign language skills and being able to take English and put it into ASL. And how, did, how exactly is that done? What's the, sometimes the content we're doing, you know, you get, you get straight English. When you're signing straight English off the page, we don't do that. We have to translate it into American Sign Language, which is another language. At Gallaudet Theater Department, we did a lot of that. Character development. What, uh, just regular acting training, everybody does. But it was an amazing process. Now that I've graduated, I'm still learning things. Every class I can take, uh, every acting coach with a one-on-one, -on -one, I still do that. I don't think you ever stop learning about acting. Right now I'm learning about the deaf actors. Uh, uh, before I was just an actor. I had training background and all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, voice training, sign language training and everything. But now, today, it's more and more, you see more and more deaf actors coming out. So I'm about that. Uh, we need more training. We need more that we can do. Before, it was just, you know, every once in a while, you get a workshop, somebody deaf is brought in, yay. It's not like that anymore. More and more deaf actors on, on TV and film now, on the stage now. And, and uh, there are, by the way, bad deaf actors. <laughs> There's, you know, there's good defectors, just like hearing people, right? I mean, and that's okay. I mean, there's time for us to start criticizing each other and, and so we can learn how to improve what we do. Instead of, uh, you know, it's, oh, you know, it's, uh, it's broken. Uh, let's, uh, I mean, look, at you bring a hearing person in, a deaf person in, we want to move this thing further together. And for example, the theater, uh, we, they, the theater, we usually use the same deaf actors all the time. They bring in a hearing person, okay? And uh, the audience loved it. That's great. But uh, they're trying to be different. At, uh, that's the point of art. So you're trying to be different. So I'm hoping to do more with people uh, today. I want to be, be different. I want some different collaborations. Not what's already done that's so, so traditional with theater, you know. So. <laughs> um, so speaking of Spring Awakening, we both saw the production, um, the Deaf West production in L.A., uh, and then it went on to Broadway, and blown away by the production, and especially your performance. Um, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. Uh, and in, in an interview you did for Spring Awakening, you said that breath and breathing guide you in your acting and performance with others, and is what you use to help you find the beat in the music. Can you tell us about this process, and is this something you develop naturally, or is it something you learned in your training? Well, uh, it's a technique I studied breathing from the same person that uh, got me involved in theater, uh, Monique, Monique Holt. She's the one who taught me about, the first thing about acting is, is the breath, breathing. And so uh, there's happy breath, there's sad breath, there's breathing, there's listening to each other breathing. Uh, so an actor, breathing to me as an actor is the key. I can't just throw it all out there. I have to take my time and breathe. I gotta take a moment. I have to connect with the music. Uh, there's a, uh, how do I explain this? Uh, you know, if there's, a, uh, if there's a moment in the music, there's a gap in the music, there's a moment in the song that you can hook into 
for example, in sign language. The beauty of ASL with music uh, is that, uh, well, I don't know about hearing people, but for when deaf people, when you can see somebody singing, you can see the vocal cords, uh, but with signing, it's not that way. It's the expression on the face. It's the hands. It's the, it's the body. It's the breath. It's everything about the human body that's singing, especially in Spring Awakening. Uh, how me and uh, Katie uh, Bach, we um, worked together, collaborated together, because I told her breathing for me what it did, how it raised uh, moments for me in, in the song. I said, don't cue me, don't touch me, <clears throat> and the next line, what the next line is, but it's more about breathing together. <laughs> breathing, becoming one, together. And that's what we did. For, so for me, the breathing represents a, uh, a, a, a sink, a sink, a connection. Um, without that, uh, there's the, 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 without that, there's no passion. There's no emotion. Uh, it's not about the words. It's not about the lines. Breathing, as odd as it sounds, breathing, breathing. That's it for me. That's that's. Uh, does it make any sense what I'm saying? Yeah, it's totally. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but life. You know. <clears throat> one other question with that, just like concrete with the breathing. Are you picking up on the vibrations? Of the, is it a physical manifestation of feeling the beat, and then that's what drives the breathing, or it's really just kind of experiencing the whole thing? Yeah, well, it's more about the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I've got an instinct, okay? People uh, tease me about this, especially with music, but I'm, I'm deaf. I cannot hear a thing, nothing. But I've got this music in my, in my gut, okay? My, now, maybe in the previous life, I was a singer. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, when I learn a music piece, like I can learn in a day or whatever my process is, I, I've got it in my body. And so then, how? I don't know. I don't know. But it's just in there. And uh, anyway, so breathing is a big part of that. It's more of a instinct. It's more. It's not a visual thing so much as a breathing together with the music. It's in me. And so that's what it is. We're curious, how has being deaf influenced your creativity? Well, if I wasn't deaf, I wouldn't be an actor. I have no idea what I would do. I think because I picked something I like to find challenging, some, some, a project I, I like to accomplish. I did want to be a singer, of course, but my mom was like, uh, Sandra, you're deaf. <laughs> but you can. We'll have speech therapy someday, maybe. But, but there are deaf who can sing. They're, they're out there. They're here and there, whatever. You know, um, they're out there. But it's not for me. I just, uh, it's in my hands. It's in my expression. Uh, but... Uh, how did uh, it, it, well, I'm a visual person, so if it affects me in any way, what my creativity, I love art, I love pictures, I love, uh, I love expressing it and giving people what they like in the audience because it's, uh, it's just cathartic. Uh, I, I, I like to impact the world in an artistic way. I mean, you can do a two-hour presentation, you can preach, you can do whatever you want, but you can expose people uh, to, to my ideas, to my culture. They won't listen to that. Uh, that's what makes Spring Awakening such an awesome, special experience because I met so many parents, hearing parents of deaf children would come up to me and say, wow, uh, I've been forcing my child to speak. Am I wrong doing that? Maybe I should 
have them do what you're doing. I told them not to sign. I go, listen, that's fine. There's no wrong answer, right answer. You can do whatever you choose to do with your child, but don't neglect their deaf culture. Without that, that's a, they're missing a part of their own language. I come from uh, a hearing family, but my parents made sure that I had the best of both worlds. Uh, I went to a mainstream school. I had deaf friends. I had hearing friends. My parents signed. I had speech therapy. I can lip read. I mean, uh, but signing keeps, that's my identity. That's my culture, American Sign Language. So many, many, many deaf children, hearing families are missing that. They're being denied that. It's not the parents' fault. That's just the way society is right now. Uh, I, you know, I'm not trying to give a lecture here, but you know, I'm, all, I'm about art, spring awakening, uh, Gaia death. There's things out there. I've, I've had so many opportunities. I've had the best of both worlds. This is just the beginning, but art is my life. And I, uh, if I wasn't deaf, what would I be, a teacher or something? I don't know. But I, won't be, uh, I wouldn't be doing acting, that's for sure. I would not be doing acting. What was your experience like as the assistant director for At Home at the Zoo with the Wallace um, and Deaf West? Do you see yourself directing for theater and or film in the future? Yes and yes and yes. <laughs> uh, yes, I love... I'm still trying to find my way, because uh, I'm an actor first, director second, I guess. Uh, I've uh, had that with my first directing for... I haven't had a full production yet. I do want to do a full production as a director. Uh, I was blessed to have that experience. Uh, I was blessed to have that assistant director. I mean, I understand uh, the craft and everything, I'm, but what I see is not just what's beautiful. I don't care uh, what's beautiful. I'm not, here to, I'm not here to tell you what looks good on stage. I'm here to direct, even if it, there's hearing and deaf on stage. Um, I really want to direct uh, a, a big show. That's my dream, to... to uh, I want to do Rent. I really want to do Rent. I want to do that show so bad. I've been working on it for two years. I'm still working on it, but that's the show. That's my show. I just want to be the director to do a musical and tell everybody I can still direct a musical, okay? I just hire a person, another director here, assistant here, but I'm surely, I really want to be, uh, do that. Um, it's, I know it sounds absurd or something, but... Uh, in 1984, like in 1984, for example, uh, George Orwell's 1984. I love that. I want to direct that. I mean, there's so many projects in my mind. I'm still finding where I stand and how I stand in this the directing uh, world, but I definitely see it in my future. That's, that's definite. So you recently starred in the horror film Soul to Keep. Can you tell us about that experience? Yes, that was a wonderful experience. Uh, filmed right after Broadway uh, closed about three years ago. Well, maybe four years ago now? <laughs> oh, boy. Three years ago, okay. But it was great. Uh, that was my first full feature film. Yeah, yeah, and I've done short films, but this is my first full, full feature. I learned a lot through that experience. Uh, it was a wonderful experience because the film, many of the hearing actors in the uh, film had to learn sign language. And uh, that's not normal in film. They tend to have a deaf character who can lip read or a deaf character who has one friend who interprets everything for the deaf person, oddly enough, in the film. That tends to be what happens. And you see the same thing over and over again with deaf characters. So Soul to Keep, uh, 
it's a horror film. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, you know, young kids at a party, and it's nighttime. You know, the same old horror film. But however, what makes this one a little bit different is that they're all signing because there's a, and it sounds simple, but not every movie does that. So. If I was in the room, everybody would sign because that's how they do it on, on, in real life. And so, if, uh, and so it was more authentic. Uh, and there was one uh, actor who was actually an interpreter in real life, so he was in the movie, and so fine. So uh, his character signed very well, and other people didn't sign very well. So we had that character wouldn't sign very much. So in honesty and authenticity, he would not sign anyway in this situation. So, so it was interesting. And uh, I didn't have to lip read or act like a deaf or memorize the thing or act like a deaf character in the movie. That's just the one. So it made the movie kind of a special experience uh, language-wise, sign language-wise. So what happens to my character was also great. I can't tell you uh, what the end, but the character was really great. It was really great. Awesome. I can't tell you, but it was awesome. But it would be wonderful to do another film. It's out right now, so you can rent it or you can buy it online anywhere. It's online, so. You already talked a little bit about the differences and similarities um, with TV and theater, uh, TV and film and theater, but what are the differences and similarities in working on a project with majority deaf actors, such as Deaf West, and one in which you might be the only one or one of a few deaf actors, such as a TV show like Switched Up Birth? Well, there's not much difference other than the language access. Okay, that's an issue. However, with theater, I'm an actor. Uh, I'm just an actor. I'm not uh, translating lines. Uh, you have an ASL team for that. You have coaches. So I'm not telling a director what to do or what to, or suggesting how, uh, how to uh, take care of the language. I'm just here with the other actors. That's all. That's my job. Now, when you go to television, <laughs> I have to switch my leg over here. But uh, now, on the other hand, with TV, oftentimes, and it shouldn't be like this, but often there's no ASL consultant. There's no ASL coach behind the scenes watching, make sure all the signs are clear, like, like they do in theater. Now, in some cases, there are. And Switch of Birth did that. They did that. They had consultants. But uh, often, uh, if you're a, a deaf person, as an actor, you're, uh, I don't want to step over the line and say, oh, Mr. Director, uh, can I just tell you something? Uh, that sign you're using there is, you know, uh, I have to look in the script. That's not really how a deaf person would say this, you know. I'm not that kind of an actor. I'm not gonna, you know. I just, uh, I, I, I can't sign that line the way it is in the script. I've got to. I'll find a, a writer. I say, hello, Mr. Writer. Can you come over here? Can I just have a word with you? And uh, that's how you really do it. And most of the time, they go, oh my God, oh sure. They, they want to make sure they're doing it right. But if you go up to somebody and tell them how to do it, it's not going to work. So that's something that TV and film has to improve on, but it's something you have to be very political with. But I don't mind uh, going through the process again with having more and more deaf. There's more and more deaf people involved now. So, they're, you know, first of all, you have to have interpreters on set. You have to have an ASL consultant. And uh, I'm a deaf actor. See, that's what I do. And so uh, some, sometimes you have to educate a little bit uh, in TV and film so they can catch up to where we are in, in theater. Following up on that. Um, curious. So when you're reading the script and you're like, oh, a deaf person wouldn't say it that way. Is it a language? Is it a usage? Is it a word choice? What clues you in to be like, no, I don't say it that way? Well, uh, sometimes the English, uh, is like a joke, like a hearing joke. <clears throat> it doesn't translate like well in the ASL. You could sign it straightforward. I like English jokes, but <clears throat> if you translate in ASL, they don't make sense. 
See, there's two different languages. Why would a person, why would a character say that? So I can't think of a good example right now, but there are some lines where you try to, uh, they're hearing based, mm. or they're, it's not natural for a deaf person to say that. But anyway, I have one, I just thought of one. I'm not gonna mention what it was from, but uh, I'm just gonna, but anyway, uh, there's one uh, project I was working on, in the script it said, when people uh, come in, the light will flash. <clears throat> the light will, the light will flick, the light flickers. So it says, when the person enters, the light flickers. I looked at it, I said, uh, why does it say flicker? Well, you're deaf. When you come in, the light, no, 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 that's the doorbell. That's the door, when somebody hits the doorbell, the light was going on. That's all. It's not uh, the light flickers or flicks. So they had to make adjustments. So at the time they were editing or cutting, you look at it, they're going to find out that that's not how it goes. That's a deaf doorbell that when the light goes on and off. And I, I care about making sure things are, I want to make sure that the deaf audience, uh, I don't want them to say, oh, I don't like the deaf character, I don't like that choice. I want the deaf to say, oh, this is not the way we're portrayed. They don't, they, we don't like they're being portrayed. I mean, you guys didn't do your homework, you didn't do your due diligence on how deaf culture works, so when I, if I see something in a script, naturally I'm gonna say something about it so we can you know, make some strides forward. Or, or some lines will make uh, me sound like I'm uh, being pitied, or like another project I did, for example, I'll give you one line that would say, uh, I lost the only, f no, what was, that? what was the line I said? Um, oh, 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 the line where I said, now, and now I have no one to talk to. And I looked at it and went, ew. Uh, I mean, can, let's just say something happened. This is the only person that used to sign with me is gone or something. I mean, that, that's, my, that's what I would say. My friend I cared about so much, I didn't care about this person. And that's not that she could sign to me. And they went, in other words, now I have nobody to do sign language with. They went, I said, oh, geez. I said, and they went, oh my God, okay, we don't want to be offensive. I mean, it's like I was like a plain victim. No, I have nobody to do sign language with me. I said, hey, Mr. Director, I, there might be a better line we can put in there, you know. So I'm thinking that's what uh, influences me as a director. I'm a director inside also. And so I'm thinking, uh, you know, what will ever help me grow? Uh, I'm, I'm always thinking about things I can throw. And if he's a good director, he's going to be open to that, right? And so I'm just, I want more and more out there so we look good, so we portrayed the proper way out there. That's why it's important to have a ASL deaf consultant on a project before you start casting, before you set the process. A deaf person should never be uh, doing, uh, 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 be, be telling the casting director or the director what to do. Set, put making adjustments. Hearing people don't do that with directors. Why should I have to do that with a director, a hearing director? Because I care. That's why I do it. But you know, I mean, here a hearing actor would be unheard of. But you put in there, it'd be uh, if 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 you bring a deaf consultant in from the beginning to work from the very start, then uh, and the writer and everybody. Hey, look, this is better. Is they ask the deaf consultant, is, is this a yay or a nay? You know, and and uh, and pay and pay the deaf consultant by the way, and pay them and give them credit and say thank you, Mr. Deaf Consultant, and then move on with your production, okay? So that I could just be an actor, in other words, all right? Yeah. There. Good. <laughs>
What makes you excited to sign on to a project and what kind of opportunities in film and television or theater are you hoping to pursue? Well, I always get excited about a project that has good writing. Uh, so far, I haven't turned a project uh, down that I didn't like. Uh, uh, my job is a job, obviously, when you're an actor, but if I get a project, I do read it to make sure the character is written well, that I match it, that I can show uh, uh, what's involved in the character, and then move forward with it. So yeah. I, I like that. Um, and I get very excited when I see signing. Uh, often, if I get a project, there's a lot of speaking, or I'll have a cochlear implant. And not that that's a bad thing, all right? But uh, you see, signing, I get excited. You know, with uh, theater, I always say yes. Theater, I always say yes, because especially if there's music involved, I want to do more music and theater. It's always a big yes. I mean, half the cast is going to be deaf, or there's going to be one deaf, there's going to be a voice with me, or... Uh, Maybe there'll be no voice, like I did uh, Fun Home, Fun Home, twice. And twice there was no voice for the, uh, for, there, were, there were captions uh, above me, on the screen above. They call it the super titles uh, for a production, uh, it's a tech term, okay, super titles. So that was good. And um, that was a new thing. Uh, I was looking for a new way to how to produce this thing, and so we had super titles or subtitles. But... Uh, hearing people not used to that. They're not used to looking above for the super title and then down to the actor for the uh, emotion. But it was good because we tried, the, we tried it. Look, we were experimenting. We tried something, okay? Theater is cool. You can always experiment and try things. So that's, that's why I love theater so much. Now, film, television. I'm always excited because, again, I don't realize... Uh, uh, that there's there's not much death uh, being portrayed in uh, TV and film for an audience, uh, but uh, any person watching or a deaf person seeing deaf, somebody deaf or sounding on television, that gets them totally thinking. Uh, uh, maybe we can show more, uh, more more exposure on TV. Maybe parents of deaf children or uh, uh, brothers and sisters that are out in the audience also that are watching this, that this satisfies, it's, 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 a, it's a simple thing. When people see it on TV or film, they go, oh, this normalizes being deaf almost. It's like normalizing deaf culture. So those projects, those are what I think of. How is it going to affect the audience? How is it going to, how is it going to impact the world? So that's, that's my response to that, you know, that, that issue for us. Yeah. yeah. What is your vision for the future in, um, with deaf actors and representing your community in the arts? Well, normalizing, normalizing what we, it's a very simple answer, it normalize us, normalize us. I mean, uh, put a deaf person and a hearing person on stage and let us just uh, be together. Uh, there's one, there, I think there's three TV shows right now that have some deaf people involved in it right now. And There'll be one more with me uh, coming up in the fall, of course. <laughs> I'm excited about that project. It makes me really excited. So uh, just normalizing deaf people, more people being aware of what's going on. Uh, when I go to coffee, if I go to Starbucks, people aren't afraid of me anymore. I'm, five years ago, they would be kind of afraid of me. I could feel it. So that's the future I want to see, that uh, deaf people are just regular folk. Uh, 
Like the, the, the like be nice people have one or two deaf folk in every show if possible. I mean, it doesn't have to be a big role, but that, a deaf person there. Hey, look, they exist. I mean, you walk outside, you see deaf people talking all the time, don't you? There's one over there, there's one over there, there's one in the coffee shop. I mean, there might be one in a wheelchair, there might be somebody, uh, uh, more cerebral palsy people. Let's see more people with disabilities. So students at school go, oh, oh, the world is full of these kind of people. It's not just us able-bodied people. Because children watch television, they see, they don't see deaf people. They see everybody looks just like them. They don't see disabilities on television. Then you go to school, oh, there's a girl in a wheelchair. Uh, there's uh, two deaf people, students talking over there, chatting over there. Oh my goodness, what is that? And they make fun of them. They get bullied. It's, you know, it's psychology, man. It's psychology. So you just want to see more and more on TV so it gets normalized for the kids that are growing up today. And not just acting, but there's also what's behind that. Uh, Writing. Uh, uh, yes, I would say that uh, uh, there's Switch of Birth was a great show, but there were no deaf writers on that show. So what's up with that? What's up with that? Yeah, what is up with that? Well, that's what I'm, I'm saying. I uh, honestly, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Again, uh, I. I I'm happy that they opened the door for this kind of thing. Open the door, and more and more is happening now because of that, all these projects I told you about. But if they're listening to this, I love you guys that switched at birth. I really do. Thank you for all the stuff that you provided. But seriously, what happened to the uh, deaf writers? And, and that's the key. And that's the key. Bring in a deaf writer. And there's so many great stories out there. And like uh, at this close, uh, at Sundance, written by uh, Shoshana Stern, okay? And Josh Feldman, the name of the show. Uh, this, this close, the name of the show is, okay? It, this close, it's called. Uh, now, it's in its second season. Uh, I think it starts this week or next week. However, uh, I saw season one. It was, it was beautiful, wonderful work. Uh, the leading characters in the show are both deaf, and they also wrote the show. And they lead, they play the lead in the show. It's brilliant. It's great. Why? Because deaf writers. They're deaf writers, see? They they and they're and they're just they're just they're not just people writing about deaf people. They have the experience. I mean, oh my God. And and usually, 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 it's, you know, it's it's a deaf person being saved by a hearing person. Oh my God, the hearing person broke up with me. I need a hearing person to save me. That's the kind of things we see hearing people writing about deaf people. Sorry, Sandra, go ahead. Anyway, so, but deaf writers, deaf writers are more like real problems. What we go through everyday life, things connected to my life, my job, so much more meat and content. Funny things about sign language, the content. Like, um, I mean, I can think of one now. Uh, like the TV show that I'm doing, it would be on coming this fall, right? It's called Daybreak. The new TV show, Daybreak. Okay, it's coming up in the fall. So there's a line in the show. It's a very simple word. Um, I can't say this uh, on film. Or can I say it? But, but the, thing, the point is, well, the point is that in the English, they want to translate, but now there's some lines where American Sign Language, there were some lines where the line were, in, if you did it in English, it wasn't too funny, but if you did it in ASL, it was even funnier. It made it funnier. But if everybody, all the hearing people, 
the production team mm -hmm. don't know that, and if I don't say anything about it and just sign it the way they wanted me to, darn, we missed an opportunity there. If, if deaf people would be adding things to it, so uh, that's what I see for the, you asked me about the future, uh, as, 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 the, as the, the titles go up and the film closes out, that's what I see, that's what I see. Uh, more opportunities. Um, well, we end every interview with our rapid response segment, three, two, one, action. So three, what is your favorite or most influential film? Westworld. Two, dream person you would like to work with. Jennifer Lawrence. One, best advice you've ever received. Find happiness in everything. Action, what are you most looking forward to right now? My TV show coming off this fall. Daybreak. Yay. Yay. It's coming out on Netflix, is that correct? Cool. Yes. Awesome. And lastly, really quick, where can people follow you on social media? Sandy, 21MAE. Great. Awesome. Okay. And thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. You can find us at afemalelens.com and at afemalelens on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at afemalelens at gmail.com. And you can download the show anywhere you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos were created by Megan Cafferty. Elise Welch is our associate producer. And A Female Lens was created by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell. 